1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the We Are Podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He's Corey Geiger. I'm Jared Prugar. Corey, we are just a day away from training camp starting in happy Valley. what a fine smell that will bring the smell of football, the smell of fall. It's back and it's something to be excited for because now we know that school is coming. And the, and the fall is almost here. There's nothing quite like the first day of training camp or football camp at any level. And that's what we've got coming up on Monday, especially at Penn State.
0: Well, we get to talk football now. We, we've, we've had a lot of good podcasts over the summer, Jared. I think we've had a lot of great discussions uh, on a bunch of very interesting issues. Now we actually get down, get to get down and break down football components and what we expect to see, what the biggest storylines in camp are clearly without question with this program, far and away, the number one issue for the Penn state football program is the offensive line. The number two issue is the offensive line. The number 40 issue issue is the offensive line because we can talk about, and we will, we'll talk about a lot of different things to look forward to in camp. But I'll sit here and say that none of them will matter if the offensive line isn't tremendously improved over last year. So it's not a surprise. Anybody who follows Penn State football knows this, Jared. But that is clearly the number one element that they've got to f- get figured out in camp.
1: Yeah, right. And I mean, that's it's the, it's the number one thing every year, right? It's, was this, is it going to be better than it was the year before? And we have not seen that significant growth. That's something that we need to see if they want to keep, you know, if they want to establish a run game, which they did not establish at any point last season. But just so much happens up front on both sides of the football. But offensively, man, it, it just dictates so much. Because if you don't have a good presence up front, Clifford is scrambling for his life. You get your wide receivers aren't able to get separation and you have no running game. So it just it just creates a bunch of havoc. And they need improved play up front, or this offense is a, another year of going nowhere.
0: One well, was fascinating. If you look back to last year, seven and six record, extremely disappointing after the great start. They went seven and six with no, ru- with no running game. Okay. Okay. So let's revisit this. This is the glasses half full component from last year as we look into this year. They would have beaten Iowa if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt. Well, that's an eighth win. They would have beaten Illinois if Sean Clifford wasn't still banged up. That's a ninth win. You see what I'm getting at here? It, as for as disappointing as last year was after the, with the collapse after the 5-0 start, if he doesn't get hurt, even with a terrible running game, they still win at least nine games, Okay. Do they beat Michigan State in the snowstorm? I, I don't know. But how, how do things go against Arkansas? Well, look, they wouldn't have been playing Arkansas. They probably wouldn't have been playing Arkansas in the well, Outback Bowl. And to
1: go back to the Michigan State game, they're probably playing a, playing a different style of play. If, that's right. That's right. If, if they have nine or eight wins at that point.
0: That's it, right. And so the, the bottom line is, you know, it could have been a better season except for one play with Sean Clifford getting hurt. And that was with a terrible running game. So if they can just get the offensive line going, I think the running backs are there. Kevon Lee, Nick Singleton, Devin Ford. I think everybody's overlooking overlooking Devin Ford. But it, it's it's easy to say, oh, this program could win nine games if
1: the running game is going. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah, they could they could win one, nine games, 10 games, if it isn't. Uh, and they, I think they proved that last year. I mean, that the biggest, I think, um, we can talk about the problems up front, but what really uh, under center and behind the center are, are where that falls. And I think that's the point you know, we've talked about this at length over the summer and even in the spring. That is Penn State's strong suit. Say what you want about statistics, but I want to see what a fully healthy Sean Clipper can do in his sixteenth year of experience.
0: Yeah, and the the line is huge. You know people are wondering what the line is going to to be looking like. And I think it I think for the most part, it is primarily set um, with regards to you'll have Olu uh, on on the left side at left tackle you'll have uh, Landon Tingwall uh, at uh, the left guard spot you'll have Juice Scruggs at center uh, a, a, a competition at right guard between Sal Wormley and Hunter Nowez the 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 transfer from Cornell and then the right tackle will be Caden Wallace there's good players on that on that line there's good players there that we think you know, could uh, be a pretty good offensive line. I, I I worry about the depth and then I worry about the scheme. The biggest component, the biggest area of concern for me with the offensive line is the scheme because I'm just concerned that Mike Yersich is not, he, he clearly did not implement a physical enough presence for the big 10 last year. And so that, to me, is the area that I need to see Penn State come out and show. They need to prove to people, we are going to knock you on your butt because they just didn't do that last year.
1: Right. They have to show that they're they're willing and capable of winning games. I've, I've been watching um, the, the captain. Derek Jeter was my favorite player growing up, and I finally got to watch the documentary. And one of the things that they talked about in the first two episodes is the Yankees in 1998 wanted to win the game before – they step foot on the field. So in that team, won 114 games, regular season ended up winning the world series. Penn state needs to go back to that intimidating style of play. What they were known for was hard physical play. We were going to grind you out. And Penn state really hasn't had that opportunity of late. You know, Penn state used to be this, you know, this kind of, you know, you're in awe when you play in Beaver stadium, they intimidated just by the sheer fact they're playing in front of 110,000 fans. It's a big crowd. Now, teams like Ohio State and Michigan aren't going to be phased by that, though Michigan has showed it's, it's you know, calling a timeout before the game even starts, right? Um, so it's just one of those situations, right? They need to get back to that intimidating style of play and, and knowing, hey, we are capable of winning every game that we're in and we're going to sh- prove that to you on the field. And I don't think that they've had the confidence in the last few years uh, to go out and do that every game because every game, it seems like they're grinding it out, and that's not a Penn State style that they want to get into.
0: Right, and so we'll see with the line what happens in camp. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about it. We'll spend a lot of time writing about it because it doesn't matter how good everybody else is or is not if that line is not up to speed. The other the other thing I want to find out about this, first of all, you got to keep everybody healthy, but on defense, the linebacker spot, You got Curtis Jacobs. You got Jonathan Sutherland will be the two two outside backers. They're trying to find out who the inside backer will be. There will be a competition there, James Franklin says. We think the secondary will be really good. I love Jair Brown. I think he he has a chance to be one of the best players on the team, if not the best player. And then Joey Porter, who might be the best player on the team. Uh, So I think they're fine there. Defensive line should be really good, at least for the starting unit. And then we'll see there's a lot of depth there because they've recruited well. But that linebacker component, Jared, this is linebacker you. We have seen sensational, sensational linebackers at Penn State forever. Uh, I don't know that we have that on this, on this team right, uh, right now this year. Curtis Jacobs has a chance to be really good. But that linebacker group is going to have to be really good.
1: Yeah, and what I'm more interested to see is kind of the group as a whole because this is the first time since James Franklin's been there. since Well, since John Donovan, I guess, Uh, really. Um, uh, It's just going to be – or no, not John Donovan. Stoops. Shoop. Bob Shoop, right? That's who I'm trying to think of, Corey. The first offensive or defensive coordinator under James Franklin. Ted Roof. Ted Roof. That's it. It's been so long, but that was Brent Pry for the longest time. And now he's without Brent Pry. He's without his security blanket. because, for as bad as the offense typically is or or has been of late, um, it's the defense that's kept them in those games and kept those games at a point where Penn State can win them.
0: look, i I wrote last year that the most important person in the Penn State program was Brent pry. I, I had tr- I have tremendous respect for Brent Pott Pry and everything he did. Manny Diaz was an excellent hire. Uh, if you're going to bring in a defensive coordinator, you you got to make a splash. If you're Penn State, they made a splash. They, they hired probably the best possible guy, <coughs> excuse me, that they could have hired in Manny Diaz. Here's the question I have, and that's that Manny likes to play a very aggressive style. He really wants to get out and, and, and be very aggressive and have your defenders – you know, be one-on-one and take chances and get turnovers and all that stuff. And that is great. If you can do that, we've not seen Penn State turn the ball over uh, defensively a ton over the years. If they can force more turnovers, that's awesome. The, the challenge is to do that without giving up the big play. Now, I would watch Miami some in recent years, and, yeah, they would get the turnover chain, and they'd get a big turnover here, and then they'd give up a 40- or 50-yard touchdown. That is something James Franklin will not stand for. He will not stand for the defense getting exploited with explosive plays because James Franklin likes the bend-but-don't-break style that Brent Pry had. And so I just think that component is going to be really interesting to watch if, if Manny Diaz's style fits what James Franklin wants to do
1: yeah i'm interested to see how that kind of plays out but speaking of turning turning it over let's turn it turn it over to the break and we'll catch you on the flip side for the second segment of the we are podcast and dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal Welcome back to the second segment of the We Are Podcast, the k Sports Podcast Network. He's Iger, I'm Prugar. Corey, we talk about confidence is key, right? Well, what are you confident in as Penn State heads into camp?
0: Yeah, this is an interesting question because I'm going to go back to something James Franklin said last week at, at Big Ten Media Days, and that is the depth. All right, so do I think Penn State has the best starters of anybody in the Big Ten? No. Um, but when, what, what happens is when you have top 10 recruiting classes and you recruited well year over year over year, you tend to start to assume that a lot of these backup guys are going to be really good. And, and that's where I think to hear James Franklin say, a lot of these guys are ready to come in and compete right away, not just a freshman, but last year's freshmen as well. That's what I, I guess I would probably say. I feel confident that when Penn state goes out to play anybody, including Ohio State, the the overall talent is going to be there to win. You follow what I'm saying, Jerry? Mm -hmm. Now, execution, that's something different. Uh, Play calling, that's something different. Coaching decisions, that's something different. But just in terms of the sheer talent, I do think Penn State can and should be able to match up with just about anybody in the Big Ten in any given year because of the way the recruiting has gone and the way they develop their guys. We talk about this a lot. They develop their guys for the NFL very
1: well. Right. And, you know, it's not about your ones and twos. It's about your threes and fours. And, you know, those scandal plagued years where they had the, the limit, limited scholarships proved that, you know, depth matters. Depth is always going to matter. And it's not always about depth. You can have three or four guys at a position, but it's the quality of those players at that position that matter. You know, you saw that at Iowa last year when Taequann Roberson came, comes in and is just not ready for the moment. Quality backup is ready for that. And, you know, it, it's about that quality. And I think Penn State has that now. You know, they've done a really good job on the recruiting trail. Whether that amounts to wins on the field, that remains to be seen. But they are churning guys out to the NFL. They're creating NFL players. Now, this is college football. It's still not the NFL. But, again, you know, you've got to put your team in positions – to succeed. So for me, my my confidence is uh, the highest in Sean Clifford, a healthy Sean Clifford. And I know that probably, that probably goes Whoa. against what I've said what? before, but what? You have a guy that's been there for a long time. This is probably the most stable offensively that they've been because they haven't had to they didn't get a new coordinator over the offseason. So that matters. But if Sean Clifford is healthy, I think that is important too because now you got an established leader, but you've also you know what you're going to get. You can't go into a, you know, a Purdue on a Thursday night with Drew Aller and be like, Oh, we don't know what we're going to get. We know, you know what you're going to get from Sean Clifford each and every game. Now, whether that amounts to him being the starter down the line this season, that remains to be seen. But again, if he's a healthy and, and capable quarterback, I think that's where you have a lot of confidence. Um, but also I like the secondary as well. Um, you know jere Brown is is a stud, and I think he's going to be the next guy. Uh, the next big thing at Penn State on the back end of that secondary.
0: Okay, L- let me let me back this up here a little bit. Uh, I know it's easy to be critical of Sean Clifford because the quarterback is always going to take the most criticism when things don't go don't go well. I do think Sean Clifford is probably better than some people think. But in terms of being confident, um, I, I'm going to say this year, I don't know what we're going to get from Sean Clifford from week to week to week. I have no idea. I, I have no idea what, what he's going to do from week to week to week. I would not be surprised in any game if he go out goes out and is awesome. Remember how awesome he was against
1: Auburn? Right. And that's the thing, you know, you just never know what you're going to get. He's, he is, he is much like a box of chocolates, but at the same time, you know, it is, you know what you're going to get from the leadership perspective. You know that he knows the offense now. So there's confidence in in that. So if the offensive line can keep him upright, I think that's a very, very good thing for Penn state moving forward.
0: Yeah. The thing for me, Jared is, yeah. So he looked great against Auburn and, and, You can feel confident he'll do that every now and then. But from game to game to game, even from half to half, that's where I just don't have the level of confidence in Sean Clifford. He Now, look, this is his sixth year, fourth year as a starter. There there is a a, a good possibility that he'll be more consistent and better this year. But until I see him put together – Five, six good halves in a row I'm going to question if he can do it he has just missed way too many open receivers in his career guys will be flying open he'll overthrow him by five yards he'll underthrow him he'll throw by I, I just I think he is way too inconsistent when he is playing well and he's played in a lot of big games and he gives you a chance to win uh, Penn State is going to have a shot but I need to see Sean Clifford do it week after week. And we've never seen him do that in his career.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a fair point. And now for me, that conf- my confidence in him lays in that the experience he's played, he's been a, he's a four-year starter. There aren't very many colleges around the country that have a four-year starter such as him. So there's a confidence level in that. And again, the, the, the consistency of the offense, I should say, because, that's not been something that's happened at Penn state over the course of the last few years. While he's been a starter, he went from Moorhead to Ronnie to, um, to Shiraka and now has had your for two years. So, I mean, there's value in that, in my opinion, you know, being in the same playbook for two years in a row. So I'm, I'm confident that the offense will come to him a little bit better than he has to go and make things happen next year. But again, you know, like you said, he is—he has been inconsistent, but he's played in big games and he keeps you in them. And I think that's really the most important thing: is keeping them in games and and getting over that hump to where he's consistently playing the way that he needs to play for Penn State to compete on a national level.
0: Well, I'll throw out something crazy that I, I am extremely confident that the running game will be better, but the caveat there—the asterisk—is. My God, man, it was so terrible last year that it can't possibly be any worse, 108 yards per game. So I am very confident the running game will be better. Will it be 115 yards a game, 125, 104? I don't know. I just, I cannot envision a scenario where the running game is worse. And if it is, I'm not sure Yersic survives the season. Uh, so I, I I do think that a better running game would lend credence to what you're talking about with Clifford. The one thing I've always said about Clifford is he is a good game manager. He can win you games if he gets help, if the running game is doing well. He's not going to win you a whole bunch of games by himself. So the best case scenario for this Penn State team is the running game comes out, gives them 150 plus yards per game. Clifford only needs to throw for 250 a game. And yeah, you can win a lot of games that way.
1: Yeah. And and that's the thing. They just – they have to be in position to win games and, and they've got to take care of the football and they've got to run the football. And if you're able to do that, then Penn state should be able to compete relatively easily for uh, on a national level. You know, obviously you still have to play games against Ohio state and at Auburn, which I think is going to be a tough test early in the season. And and it's no, you know, Patrick Kraft mentioned this week about how, you know, how difficult it has been for Penn state to start on the road. What seems like every year for the last 20 years, and, you know, they got to start on the road and big time play at, at Purdue, not the third or fourth week of the season, but week number one or week zero, I guess is what the kids call it these days. So that is all of value. So Corey, what are you least confident in? I am least confident that
0: Sean Clifford can be consistent week in and week out. So I, I'll go ahead and say that that's uh, that. And we, we've had that discussion, but I guess I am least confident that this will be a really strong linebacker group. I think the defensive line can be really good. I think the secondary can be really good. But I I foresee, I foresee a lot of trouble for the defense because I just don't think, especially when you go to Purdue in week one, and that's a tough environment, I just think that the defense might be really good for the long haul over the course of the long season. But especially the concerns at linebacker, I I just have a lot of a lot of questions how they're going to handle this early schedule.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's going to be trot by fire. They don't really have any other options other than to just go out there and play. And again, I think that's that'll be, you know, it'll speak volumes to what Manny Diaz is capable of um, as a coordinator, as a coach. And I'm very interested to see, you know, that defense, because this is it's so very different than anything Penn State's had under James Franklin. And um, or and it might not be, you know, uh, as far as the turnover, I think is the is the biggest thing with, with losing Brent Pry, um, to Virginia Tech, uh, and they've got an interesting, you know, they start with Old Dominion. It, it's the it's the Franklin Assistance Bowl, right? They start with Old Dominion uh, to begin the season, so it's Brent Pry versus Ricky Ronnie, the f- two former uh coordinators for Penn State. So that'll be an interesting thing to to pay attention to for Penn State fans. Um, you know, and then you've also got Charles Huff in there at Marshall and then Joe Moorhead at, at Akron. Um, but you know, as far as least confident for me, I want to see what the receivers do behind Parker Washington. You know, Keandre Lambert Smith's got to take a big step. Um, and then it's just a bunch of who's going to step up, uh, and step up like guys like Keandre Lambert Smith, uh, and, and Parker Washington did, you know, with Jahan Dotson uh, taking the forefront uh, a couple of years ago. So, again, there's value in, uh, you know, Stubblefield being around for, for multiple seasons now, which is something the wide receiver position hadn't really had at, at coach. But I'm interested to see who steps up behind Parker Washington. But that's a position group that, while it's been strong for Penn State uh, in recent years, uh, that to me is the biggest question mark, you know, is what's behind Parker Washington.
0: I'm going to go out on a limb and say something that might end up being crazy. I don't like to do this because it's easy fodder for people. If you take it, we in the media, we got to make predictions and projections all the time. And it's easy for people for our projections to get blown up and people laugh at you. I'm going to take a giant flyer and I do like Parker Washington a whole lot. I'm going to take a giant flyer here. And say that Mitchell Tinsley might be the best receiver on this team this season. All right. Now, look, what Western Kentucky did last year, they threw for five, their quarterback threw for 5,900 yards. It it was pinball machine football. Mitchell Tinsley caught 87 passes. Now, the competition is very different, but you're talking about a guy that is used to being in an offense that's going to throw the ball. And so I do love Parker Washington's skill set. And if I'm wrong on this prediction, that's fine. But Mitchell Tinsley caught 87 passes for 1,400 yards and 14 TDs last year. He's a guy that when he shows up on Saturday, he's already played in an offense where he knows he's going to be a target a ton. And see, Parker Washington has never been a number one receiver. And so I, I think it's really interesting. Uh, are we certain? Am I certain that Mitchell Tinsley is going to be great? No, that's why I said, I'm taking a big gamble on this one, but man, a dude that's caught 87 balls for 1400 yards in division one football, Jared under a Mike Yersuch offense. Uh, I-, I just project, I just project that guy's going to have a huge year.
1: Yeah. And you would hope, And I think that's going to open some things up with Parker Washington. If he's able to get, you know, if he's able to perform up to those standards, I uh, Penn State. obviously the big 10 is a lot different uh, than the competition they face at, um, At his former school. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic develops, because obviously Clifford has been with Parker Washington for their for his entire uh, for Washington's entire career. And he's only been with Tinsley for the summer, uh, for the spring and summer. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic um, grows and evolves, too. Um, But I think that, you know, if he if Tinsley is able to play up to those standards and continue that um, that style of play. I think that's a very good thing for Penn State moving forward because, again, now all the pressure is off of Parker Washington, and that's going to open the door up for the tight ends, which they need to get heavily involved. But it's also going to open things up for Country Lambert smith and, and maybe even Liam Clifford, um, you know, just looking down the depth chart here. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, the layers of this offense uh, and, and what they're able to do to take uh, to take the top off the secondary.
0: Hey, did we talk about they got to run the ball? <laughs>
1: <laughs> whoa 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 whoa! why would you do something like that they proved it's last the year they didn't it's need to cory it's
0: uh, all of this all of these projections that we've got this is what makes this time of year fun because we can we can predict everything till we're blue in the face i'm telling you if they if they can't run the ball in the big 10 uh not none of this will matter and so that's why we're going to spend the bulk of our time and energy probably for the next month or so focusing very, very, very heavily on what they're doing to improve the running game, even though, hey, Mike Yersich kind of gets a little pissy when you ask him about it. You know, we we asked him about it last month, and he, he doesn't want to talk about that stuff. And Phil Troutwine says, I know how to run the football. Well, <laughs> you didn't last year, man. So these are the questions we got to have answered.
1: Right. And... You know, I wouldn't want to talk about my offense averaging 100 yards per 108 (laughs) yards per game on the ground either. But you know what? We're gonna run straight through this commercial break, and we're gonna come back on the flip side of the We Are Podcast for the third and final segment on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast. You know. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the We Are podcast, the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. He's Corey. He's Corey. I'm Jared. Um, Corey, the dynamic of college football as a whole is changing. Some might say it's for the worst and some might say it's for the better for the kids' sake. But for the kids, these student athletes, you know, put quotation marks over whichever word you want to say. There is a little bit of a level of amateurism still for right now. Although some of those players are making more than many of us make in a single season or single year in our day jobs, but what's going, what's the future of college football? Like with, you know, now, and we talked about Sean Clifford earlier, he's leading the charge to potentially unionize for college football players. So what does this look like for college football moving forward? If that's going to be the case,
0: you know, as we sit here, With
1: all of the massive changes that have
0: taken place, literally, Jared, in in about two years, when you think about how different things have been, become over the last two years, we have gone from zero to 175 in about five seconds. All right. So with the portal and and NIL, now we're going to have here in the next week or so, the NCAA is expected to uh, vote on unlimited transfers. So I do believe. I do believe unions are going to exist in college football at some point. I don't know if it's two, three years, five years. Uh, Again, the way things are moving, hell, it could be next week for all we know. But because there's so much money involved and because the players are going to want to continue to get their share to me, the future of college football will include unions. It will include labor negotiations, just like we see all the time in football, baseball, basketball. or at the pro level. I think we're going to have that in college football at some point. Now, I do have a very extensive column at DK Pittsburgh Sports. I do not believe Sean Clifford should be the guy that's the face of all this right now. Not a guy that's coming back after going 11-11 and 11 the last two years in the Penn State football program, struggling. I mean that's a bad that's a bad look to me for Sean Clifford to be potentially leading a union at Penn State two weeks before the start of camp. But you can go, you can go read my column about all that on the website. I do think it's going to happen eventually. Not just I'm just not not saying Penn State. I, I think there's going to be this collection of college football players that say, Hey, enough is enough. We want a seat. We want a voice at the table. And then. What will happen after that? Will they start to get salaries? Will they start to get taxed? Will they start to get, to continue to get scholarships, but then have to pay for their, I mean, to me, the questions are, are, are endless there. But I, I think that we're getting closer and closer and closer to this
1: whole union concept coming to fruition. Well, let's think about it, Corey. These players aren't getting a piece of the pie yet. Um, they Sure, the NIL exists, but that's not related to the universities. That's separate. So the universities Mm -hmm. haven't gotten involved yet. And that's, that's where the money is at. You know, you talk about these media rights deals and these are, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars, you know, for these colleges and universities throughout the country, Um, you know, with the ACC, the big 10, the SEC, the big 12, what's left of the PAC 12, you know, all of these um, conferences, having this, having all this money wrapped up in the media rights, but also you look at a program like Penn state and they make a lot of money on game day for parking concessions to gate revenue and these players don't necessarily get that now that subsidizes the rest of the athletic department. So those other, you know, universities or uh, university sports get that, but the football players, I mean, they get their Nike gear and they get their room and board and, and everything and the amenities that come with being a student athlete, but they're not getting a big piece of the the revenue. um, You know, the revenue sharing, is that going to be a thing? You know, how do you dictate that? How do you dictate, what a walk-on gets compared to a to a sixth a fourth year four year starter in in Sean Clifford. So you know you, it, the NCAA had a chance to you know maybe get out in front of this uh, and they chose to just sit on their hands. Um, prefer, like, I mean Mark Hunter, like he does or did with every situation, he sat there with his thumb up his ass and, and thought that he was making a great call or or locked her up because it really didn't. It, it just just murdered the game. Um, as far as, you know, they, it's a runaway freight train now. They can't get out of its way between the portal, uh, which I think is a is a positive if used the correct way um, And NIL. They had an opportunity to come out and, and say something and do something, and they just didn't. And that's typical of the NCAA. I mean, I would have loved that job. It, it seemed like he just sat there and, and did nothing and, you know, legislated over things that really didn't matter or, or ultimately became irrelevant because that's what Mark Emmert did. But you know, they had a chance to get out in front of this and they didn't. And now they're going to be paying the repercussions for years because now they've opened up Pandora's box as far as revenue goes. And now the kids are coming for the they're coming for the pie.
0: And how much will Penn State be a part of it? How much will somebody and the whole thing with Sean Clifford? I mean, he met with the college football player guy, Jason Stahl. I reached out to Jason Stahl to see if I could get him uh to to talk and, and he couldn't do it last week. We may uh get some comments from him or maybe he'll be on uh our podcast or, or something here in the next week or two. I would like to get more of his thoughts on how everything went down. But the bottom line is fans don't care about this stuff. And that's what's fascinating. Fans care about go out and do your job. Fans care about produce They care about when, and I wrote this in my, in my column on Sean Clifford, Jared, you're a, you've grown up with Penn state. I've covered Penn state for a long time. Do you recall a Penn state player more criticized than Sean Clifford?
1: No, not, not in the way that, you know, there are now the the early, late nineties, early two thousands, there was a lot of criticism. I think Zach Mills was, um, criticized quite a bit Christian Hackenberg was quite a bit but the way that social media uh, mm-hmm. has grown and evolved I don't think there's anybody that's come close to what Sean Clifford has had to deal with uh, over and the my, course of his career at, at Penn State
0: and my point with that is he gets that already and now people find out that he's possibly spearheading a union and I, look again I have a lot of respect I wrote this for Sean Clifford as a leader but that stuff is not what fans want to be hearing two weeks before camp. They want to be hearing, Hey, what are you doing to get better as a football player? Cause you've been remarkably average for your career. So I find all of these components very, very interesting. Have, having read all of it, I do kind of tend to believe that Sean Clifford and a lot of these Penn State players were really, really keen on forming a union. I mean, I, Who knows if they were really close, but it it does seem like, according to what Jason Stahl from the Football Players Association wrote, it seemed like he he thought he had a lot of these Penn State guys on board. Then a strength and conditioning coach comes in, interrupts the meeting, and all of a sudden everybody's doing backpedaling now because I'm guessing all of them got in trouble. I'm guessing James Franklin got pissed, and I mean pissed about all this stuff. I'm guessing these Penn State coaches were livid. We may never know everything that went on behind the scenes. And James Franklin can give the politically correct answer at Big Ten Media Day and say, "Uh, well, we got to have these conversations, and these are all good. He doesn't want to be hearing that shit two weeks before the start of camp, Jared. He wants to be confident that his his players, including his six-year quarterback, are fully focused on football, And he hears about him possibly trying to join it, form a union. I can guarantee you James Franklin was furious over that.
1: Yeah. hundred percent. I think as coaches you want to be able to dictate the the surroundings and dictate pretty much everything. You, you want to be a control freak because you want to minimize distractions. This is Mm -hmm. a distraction and we haven't even gotten to football season yet. So, you know, NIL is in existence and that's a distraction too. So, so again, we talk about the coaches and what they have to deal with. We're now, you know, we talk about, you know, the criticism of Sean Clifford, but coaches now they get paid a pretty penny, but now they're also dealing with all of these distractions off the field. You know, for the last three years, Penn, like Penn State's had to deal with you know, all, all of the regulations that they've had to deal with, with COVID and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So, or I guess since 2020. So, you know, maybe not three years, it does seem like it's forever, but all these distractions are part of the the having to manage that and and go through that and that's just really tough to deal with when as a football coach you want to coach you want to coach you want to build those relationships and you and that matters too but again when you have to deal with all the extracurricular stuff and it's taking time away from you preparing for football and your players preparing for football then that that could be that could be a slippery slope moving forward
0: yeah it's it's fascinating the way the whole thing played out but as we look ahead to the sport, I, I wish we were smart enough to try to predict what's going to happen next. But man, I'll, I'll tell you, my head is still spinning from what's happened over the last couple of years. The way this has all moved so quickly. Um, we're, we're our podcast here is previewing camp, but it's hard to it's hard to actually focus just fully on football on the field. Because things are are just changing so fast, so rapidly off the
1: field still, right? But there is a sense of normalcy come Monday. Players will be back on the field for practice. Pads are coming shortly thereafter. Media day comes next week. Corey and I will both be there to get you all that you need to know for Penn State to take you from training camp up to the beginning of the season at Purdue, and we are more than uh, happy to do that for you. So for Corey Geiger. This has been Jared Prugar on the We Are Podcast and DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. We'll catch you again next week.